Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Dave Newell. Dave's on a mission to align the misaligned, connecting leaders with systems that foster outstanding work and personal fulfillment. He collaborates with business leaders to implement the five facets of business, a small business operating system to optimize processes, foster team alignment around culture, strategy, operations, and finances. This provides leaders with the necessary clarity and alignment to crush both short and long-term goals. Dave has coached hundreds of leaders in the last 11 years. Thanks so much for being here today, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. This is uh, We were talking before uh, we started recording that you and I are in somewhat of the same space, and it's part of the reason I wanted to have you on because I love talking about small business. Uh, yeah. And and you know providing small business owners with strategies and and ideas of things that they can do better. So, um, uh, what I'm curious, what you think gets in the way of small business leaders driving uh, like business growth? Uh, this is a great question. There's, uh, I'd say, there's a lot of things that get in the way. Uh, one of one of which I would maybe generalize a little bit to what I call the complexity threshold. And the complexity threshold in my mind is when the practices and approaches that got you to 1 million or 2 million or whatever your number is, uh, aren't going to get you to four. And you hit this point where you feel like you've capped out or you've gotten stuck, right? And you have to adjust practices or you have to adjust mindset or you have to hire the next person who's going to take something off of your plate so that it can you know, get to the next level. That is often, I think, what gets in the way is when folks kind of hit that point and you feel that moment and you can't figure out how to get out of it. And that's, you know, I would imagine, Diane, that's where you meet people often as well. But that that is typically where we meet individuals or organizations is that scale point, right? When when the the grit and the hustle that got them to kind of their first their first level of stability isn't going to get them to the isn't going to get them to the growth spot. And and are there excuse me uh, like what I will call excuse me symptoms of that like like how do they know is it just that they have a sense that something's wrong they can't quite figure out what it is or are there certain signs? that they've hit this threshold? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, certain signs are uh, revenue stagnation, mm. probably the greatest output that you'll see. But you'll also see bottlenecks in team in, in team funnels, right? So you'll see frustrated employees start to increase or you'll see uh, mm. you'll see overwhelm start to show up in your team. 
uh, or you'll even see it on your own, right? So if you're the if you're the owner, you're the business leader, CEO, whatever your title is, you'll start to see yourself with too many too many roles and responsibilities outside of kind of a main focused function. And so what that might mean is you're spending 20% of your time in operations and you're spending 20% of your time thinking about financial matters and you're spending 40% of your time in sales. And all of a sudden it's like, there's just not enough of you to go around or there's not enough of your key players to go around. And so what happens then is they get bifurcated in their attention and then none of the things operate well. We call that the big dog operator mentality where you know, you get, you're flying around and you're solving problems and that's all well and good to 2 million, but it doesn't work at four or it doesn't work at 10 or whatever your number is. So, you know, you see it in overwhelming the employees, you see it in, in revenue stagnation, um, and you see it in, you see it in a lack of operational scalability, right? So you start missing targets or you start missing goals typically. Got it. Boy, yeah, that it makes so much sense to me. And and um I can see how you don't necessarily see it coming, but then all of a sudden there are these things, like things just aren't working and and you're only one person and and so you need to change some of that. Um so let's talk about these systems. Yeah. Right. Cause, cause we just, you know, okay, here are the symptoms, whatever, but it sounds like, and, and I love systems and process. And it feels to me like what we're talking about is that we need to either establish, modify, whatever, some of the systems in our organization so that there isn't so much dependent on us. Is, is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and to your previous question, you know, what you, what you see as a business leader is you see the symptoms, right? Like the symptoms are the indicators that something isn't right. Yeah. And where I think a lot of business leaders get into trouble is when they address symptoms and not systems. So what I mean by that is if you have disgruntled employees or you have revenue stagnation, well, that's, that's a sign that that's what your system is producing. And so, you know, kind of the, the famous quote here is that the system is perfectly designed to produce the results that it's producing. which is a little bit of like a, well, yeah, of course, kind of a statement. But when you really think about that, it's like, well, we're, we are consistently getting the result of disgruntled employees or internal communication breakdowns or uh, revenue stagnation. We are seeing that over and over and over again. So that's not a symptom problem. That's a system problem means your system is designed to produce that. So you have to change the, not only the design, but the execution of that system. And so what we like to, like our initial engagement with any client is, is an assessment. It's a deep dive. And we look at, okay, well, what, what are those symptoms that we're seeing? And how does that kind of teach us about leverage points from a system perspective? Like where, where are the places for the greatest influence? And that's always the inputs that lead to the outputs. And so we do a process called causal mapping and causal mapping is looking at influence points. Where do we create the most movement? And once you get unstuck, then you can start to see, you can start to see at least movement in the categories where you like employees start to feel a little bit better. Communication gets better internally. You know, your revenue Mm -hmm. starts moving and all of a sudden it's like, okay, so now we actually regain and reclaim some of that energy to be able to go do the system change that we need to do. But we do need to find what are those linchpin elements within the system that we can shift to do something better. I love that. 
causal mapping. I love that. Because yeah. it really is <clears throat> solution focused, right? It, it really Absolutely. is about let's figure out where the where the problem where the problem is first, not necessarily who the problem is or any of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you a good example. Right. You know, we, we often say, um, you know, you, it, if you look at a map or if you go to, you know, you go hiking on a trail or you go even to the mall, right? What's the first thing you look at? Well, you look at the trail map and you look at the mall map and what's the first thing you see? You are here. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of business owners are so focused on the future that we often forget to stop and say, well, where are we? Like what's actually happening now. And you can do that through data and you can do that through, you know, SWOT analyses and all these different tools. Like there's, there's no, you know, kind of one formula for, for figuring out where you are. It is the act of where are we on the map? What's actually happening, right? We can't get to where we're going if we don't know where we are. And so, you know, the, the example I'll give you of, of kind of how causal mapping can shape, kind of reshape a lens. We were working with a a manufacturing client uh, here in North Carolina and they produce uh, the um, automated screwdriving systems, right? So the the big, the big arms that you would see in like a Ford factory, uh, you know, these are 250,000 to $500,000 machines. It's a 16 or it's a 14 week production process. Wow. You create one of these machines. And so every order is relatively customized because it needs to meet spec and all these different things. So we were brought into the organization to address people issues. There, uh, <laughs> there were 34 folks in the organization and 13 of them were on the issues list, right? Like 13 of them were, you know, being problematic employees essentially. And so when, as an outsider, when I hear that, I think, well, okay, I doubt that you hired a third of your workforce or just like ineffective, unpleasant people. That's highly unlikely, <laughs> right? But it's the symptom that they were seeing. So we got brought in to do coaching, you know, culture work and coaching with these 13 employees. And so we just, we said, hey, before we do that, can we interview everybody in the organization? We asked two questions. We said, hey, what's in the way of you being able to do your work well? Just what's in the way? And then what opportunities do you see? And that's mm-hmm. our causal mapping process, essentially. And the reason we ask what's in the way is because we want to, we want it to be an open-ended question so we can actually understand the story itself. Right. Yeah. So what we kept hearing is folks, they actually coined the term for me. They said, we have a grab and blame culture, meaning we grab credit and blame other people when it doesn't work. Oof. And where that came from was they had seven different departments and the seven different departments in the, in the production side of the house didn't know really what the other seven departments did. Right. Like they didn't yeah. have a documented process. So they'd do their process or they'd shift something and it would affect everybody down the line. And then things would blow up and it'd be problematic. Right. Yeah. And then the departments would be mad at each other. So instead of doing kind of direct coaching or culture work, we actually formed what we call the coalition. And so we took one to two members from each department or team. And for two hours a month, we would document processes together across the departments. And so what it did is not only did it increase communication about what was happening or what they were working on or, or the changes that they were making, uh, but it also gave the other departments insight into what was happening in the other departments. So within two months, we cut two weeks off of the production time 
because we found a significant amount of efficiencies or ways to do things better or faster. And we had one person on the issues list and it was simply because that guy was just not a very kind human. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that to me, that's a good example. Yeah. You know, you, you think it's something and it's something else. Right. And you can actually, you can actually look at, well, what is the system that is producing the results of these disgruntled employees, right? Of this problematic employee situation. It's typically not the people, it's typically the conditions. And do you find um, often that the in an organization, different departments have no idea what other departments need, what their challenges are, you, you know, that whole internal customer service process that that so um, there's so much siloing that. Yeah they're not working together. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, there's, there's probably quite a few different variations on how to answer this question, but what we see typically is it's generally because they're, they're tasked with different priorities. Those those different priorities have, Mm -hmm. have different approaches or practices that don't always play nicely. Right. So for example, you might have, like I work with some um, like marketing, like Amazon marketing agencies, right? So what's the salesperson's main priority? Well, it's to close business, right? It's to get, it's to get clients in the door. It's to get, you know, monthly recurring revenue up. And what is the account manager's responsibility? Well, it's to make sure that they're increasing revenue for the potential client, but the salesperson doesn't necessarily care about that target. They care about something else. Right. So they might say a few things on the front end or they might make some promises that the internal team says, there's no way we can do that. Right. Right, We can't execute on that. And so what you have is two different priorities that create some of that siloing. Right. Because they're not necessarily headed in the same direction. And so. Of course, you can deal with that of like, yes, let's make sure we're communicating. Let's make sure we have documented processes and, you know, the salespeople are sharing internal documentation and we're combining those folks. Absolutely. And it also starts with, okay, so how do we actually create a framework or a structure from a priority perspective that takes both of those things into account? Yeah. And when we're creating a a strategy or a strategic plan or our targets for 2024 or whatever it is that you're creating, how do we create a mutual framework where these departments will more effectively work together? And it starts from a framing perspective and then it ends in the execution side of things. And you have to address both sides of that coin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Boy, I'm so glad I asked those questions. This, this is really, it's shining such a light on these situations. Um, but my next question for you is about the five fats it's, facets of business. Yeah. Will you talk some about what they are? Yeah. So what over the last 11 years, we've done organizational development work. We, it sounds like you and I work with a similar population. We typically work with organizations that are, you know, in the million to 20 million range, five to 50 employees tends to be where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're fairly industry agnostic because what we see is when you take a systems approach to small business, it's a lot yeah. of the same things on repeat, right? Yep. And so 
And so what we've done in the last year is essentially say, okay, so over the last decade of doing this, what are kind of the main aspects of business? What are these kind of repeatable things that we see or where are these kind of repeatable pitfalls? So the five facets is really a way to address the common systemic challenges that organizations face. And so we look at five things, culture, strategy, operations, story, which is sales and marketing, and finance. And in each of those five categories, there are design elements and there are implementation elements. And what we typically see is that most organizations are good at two or three of those categories. Like they might be a really strong culture and they might have a really strong story and they're really good at getting business, but they cannot get things out the door on time and operations are a problem and they're frustrated and overwhelmed or their finances are a mess and it's dragging everything else down. Right. So it's not very common that a, a business isn't good or isn't sufficient in any one of those categories. It's typically, you know, they play to their strengths and they're good at their strengths, but it means that, a, a you know, one or two areas is falling short. Uh, and so on the front end, we look at the assessment, we say, okay, so if you're really good at culture, you're really good at story, and actually you're pretty good at finances, but your strategy is really off, right? Like you're not actually. Your strategy and your operations are off. It's dragging your ability to sell down. It's actually going to cause cultural problems. And it's going to mess with your finances because you're not actually bringing in the business that you could be bringing in. So let's make sure we're elevating strategy. Let's make sure we're elevating operations. And so we really kind of just pick at where are the spaces where we need to elevate. That kind of goes back to that causation piece, right? Where, Where are the greatest opportunities for movement? And I'll just... I'll just back up real quickly. I, I kind of loosely mentioned there's design elements and there's implement there's uh, implementation elements. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is, you know, from a culture perspective, this is probably the, the easiest example to understand. From a culture perspective, the design element is, well, what are our company values? And most companies have some variation of values, sure. right? Yeah. That's pretty common. I, you know, if, if you don't, you know, make sure that you're doing that. It's a really important kind of framing for your organization. Just to understand kind of who are we going to be while we do what we do, right? Yeah. But values alone is a relatively perfunctory exercise, right? It's pretty easy to say, well, these are our company values. And to design those values, you have a company retreat and if everybody feels good. It's all puppies and kittens and cotton candy. It's great. And then, you know, you go back to the office on Monday and something difficult shows up and now it's really hard to live those values because things got tough. Yeah. And so we don't just create values. We also make sure that those values are woven into and connected to behaviors that are controllable. Right. Because what we want to be able to do is how do we objectively see whether these values are being lived or not? And so we add a behavior element we tie those behaviors to performance reviews Um, And we tie those behaviors to what we call ritual. And so ritual is where are those cultural markers that we do on repeat where, where folks can feel like they're connected to something bigger than themselves, right? So we look at the, and that might even simply be, we just start every staff meeting talking about the values of the organization and and doing a value shout out with somebody. It might be when we onboard somebody, everybody walks over to the, to the signing wall, to the onboarding wall, and you get to write your name on the wall and you get to share your favorite core value and what it means to you. Like that's an example of a ritual, but we're trying to say like, it's one thing to design something. It's one thing to say, this is what the system is. And it's another thing to execute the system. So we, in each facet, we make sure that those two things are happening. 
just to make sure, just to ensure a greater opportunity for success. I see. <clears throat> That's that is really great, and I love what you said about um, tying it to behaviors that are measurable, because I feel like that's one of the things that people struggle with is really knowing what does that look like? How do I know if I'm living the the values of this organization? Right. Well, you know, and values are very interpretable when they're at a high level. Right. So it's hard to hold somebody accountable to something that's fairly subjective. Yeah. Right? You, could say, you could say our core value is great customer service or like yeah. valuing customers. You're like, great. Well, that might mean something to Diane and it might mean something really different to Dave. Yeah. Right. They might look really different. So, well, what would it look like if we put three behaviors underneath that to, to actually just add some depth to the story uh-huh. and to the definition, but to make those things very clear. So I'll give you a good example. The Ritz-Carlton is actually kind of famous for this. Yeah. So one of their values is, is essentially a great customer experience. And one of the behaviors that they have is if you receive the complaint, you own the complaint. Yeah. I love that one. I, I do too. So great. Because <laughs> if you're a hotel guest and you know you don't have towels or something and you call down to the front desk and they're like oh yeah no that's the maintenance department you're gonna need to call over there and da, da, and it's like well now the work's on me to go like track this thing down so yeah. i can go get it but if i know that if i'm going to call somebody they're going to deal with it for me regardless of what their role is in the organization i'm more likely to stay at a place like that right yes. and it's clear it's like did you handle the complaint or not yes or no yeah Right. Yeah. So I think it's just a really good example or like another one of theirs is, you know, we learn and use customer names. It's like, it's very concrete, very clear, something you can control, right. And measure, yep. but it makes, it makes the value true. It makes the value come to life. And it also isn't confusing. Yes, exactly. All right. <clears throat> so let's talk about system change because I get it. This all sounds good. You know, something's got to change because there are things that are wrong. Um, And change can be tricky in in organizations, right? Like like there's people who feel like, well, if I participate in that change, then does it uh, undermine my value to the organization? Or am I working myself out of a job? Or uh, is it going to be more work for me to do? So how do you successfully implement a system change? That's a really great question. To me, it starts with understanding what change is, right? So I think change as a term gets a bad rap because change is a thing that is constant. It happens no matter what we do, right? Right. So really understanding that it's not a fear of change that causes the problem. It's the fear of loss. People don't fear change. They fear loss. We fear losing the status quo. We fear losing our degree of certainty or we, we fear losing comfort. The, you know, exactly. So here's what I'll say is uh, an example of positive change might be, you know, let's say Diane, you're working at a, you're working at a office setting and you've got a cubicle and you're in the middle of a dark room with incandescent lights and I say, hey, we're going to do some reorging in terms of where we are in the office. Diane, I'm going to move you to the corner office where it's totally well lit. There's plants in there. You have your own coffee maker. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. 
right? You're going to be like, sweet. Yeah. Love that. That's amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. But in the reverse, if you were in the corner office with the windows and I said, Hey, I need you to actually move into the middle into this cubicle in the dark where there's just incandescent light. And by the end of the day, you're going to be wiped out because your environment sucks to work in. <laughs> right. You're going to be like, what, what is yeah. happening? No, I do not want, right. Both are versions of change. Just one was a positive one and one was a negative one. And so when you think about organizational change, there's really, there's really three elements to think about. Like one, we have to capture the pain of what's what's the current situation is really the question. Like what's the pain point that we're experiencing? We have to be good at articulating that and understanding that. So again, that kind of goes back to understanding right. where, are we, where are we on the map? Yeah. Right. And we have to be good about talking about what's the consequences if we stay here. Because mm-hmm. if Daniel Kahneman and Tversky's work taught us anything and thinking fast, thinking slow is human beings are more motivated by loss aversion than we are about by what's possible. So you have to be good about speaking to what's the pain, what's the current pain and what pain is possible if we don't take action, if we don't do something, here's what could happen. Right. And I don't mean that to be fear mongering in any oh. way or form. You just have to be clear. Right. Like here's what we see is, or, you know, for example, you might say we're, our revenue has been stagnant for the last year. We've been at 4 million for three years and we can't figure out how to get past it. Well, that's a pain point. What that might mean for us in the future is that we might actually lose market share if we can't figure out how to adjust, you know, where we are, where we're going. So number one is just understanding that pain point. Number two then is figuring out, well, what's the happy ending, right? So what does the change look like when it's done and done well, Mm. right? Here's what's possible. So you're kind of painting those two pictures and really those two, those two, what they do for the people that work for you or what they do for, you know, the, the folks that you need to have change is it paints the picture of why, why does it matter? Well, we're here and we want to be there. And what you're doing is you're closing loops in your brain, in their brain. And those two things should mirror each other. Meaning, Hey, we're stagnant. We're at $4 million. We've been at $4 million for three years. And if we don't do something, it could result in loss of jobs or it could result in what, So we want to be in a situation where we're growing revenue, where we're able to keep those jobs and we have a clear and consistent pathway towards growth, right? Okay. I just painted a picture really quickly of where we are and where we want to go. Right. And then the last piece is essentially, and here's the pathway for how we're going to get there. Here are the steps that we're going to take. And you're just, by doing that, you're actually psychologically addressing all the concerns that somebody has in their brain. Can you answer every minute question? No. Like, do I get to keep my stapler? Like, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that question right now. Or like, you know, does that mean I get my parking spot? You're like, sure. You know, whatever yeah. it is, like people are going to have very specific questions about their very specific job roles and the things that matter to them. Right. Yeah. But if you can put that, if you can put the change story or the change narrative in context and you can talk about, here's the pain point, here's what's going to happen if we don't do something. Pretty soon you're speaking to the, you know, from a psychological perspective, you're inviting people into a change story that they, that they can for themselves see the benefit in. And that takes some time and that takes some crafting and that takes some, that takes some clarity, but it can really transform the experience of folks that are, you know, about to experience change. Yeah. I so love that. I always say, I like when I'm doing sales training, 
excuse me, that there's two questions you have to ask at some point in the process and they go together. And the first one is, uh, what will the impact be when you make this decision, whether Mm. it's with me or someone else, but you know, what will that impact be? And the Mm. second question is, what will be, what will the impact be if you don't? Oh, I love that. Right. Cause it speaks to exactly what you're saying. Then they are painting the picture and understanding is it really something significant enough to move forward? And it might not be, whatever. But then they they really understand the value of making whatever change that is. So, yeah, yeah. No, I I really like those questions a lot, and I think what you're what you're pointing to is you're getting them to acknowledge, like, oh man, well we're gonna be this yes, same. like we're gonna be stuck here. Yes. Like, yeah, exactly. That's why change is important. So I love that you're getting them to discover, right? Because as you, as you know, on the sales side of things, like people buy into what they create, right? Right. So like the more opportunity you give them to create the story, the more bought in. Yes. You can't convince them, right? This is what we do in sales. It's so wrong is we think if we explain it to them, then they'll own it, but they have to explain it to them. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm, I couldn't agree more. I actually really like, I like the framing around impact as well. I think it's yeah. Great yeah. Thank you. I yeah. No, that. thanks for that, that nugget. Awesome. I feel like I just learned something. Yeah. <laughs> you are a trainer. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're all learning something. Boy, Dave, I love this. I love what you're doing. I love the conversation and the examples. Like this is one of the episodes that people are going to listen to over and over again, because it really, there's so much that's great in here. One of one of my favorite parts is, I feel, is this overarching, we have to be communicating clearly, consistently, and a lot yeah. so that people aren't left to wonder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the frameworks we use, so our, our purpose statement for our organization is to align the misaligned. And what we mean by that isn't necessarily a tragedy or like misalignment doesn't mean tragic, Uh but misalignment means we're not on the same page. Like either the people, the people aren't on the same page, the systems aren't on the same page or both, right? The people or the systems aren't on the same page. And what we've just, the framework we use with this is there are essentially three stages that any company or any process can be in, which is alignment, misalignment, or realignment, Right. And yeah. alignment is everything's moving in the same direction. Everything's good. Misalignment is we're moving to different parts. And realignment is the act of moving towards alignment, right? And so yeah. what we promote is, look, you should be, if you ever experience misalignment, it is a call to realign. Yeah. Meaning that means we need to communicate more. We need to be clearer. We need to be looking at systems. We need to be we need to be, as you kind of put it, like understanding what's the impact if we do or if we don't. Yeah. And we need to be talking about those things. And realignment is active. It is proactive, mm. not right. Reactive, right. So to me, misal- a good symptom of are we in misalignment or not is if we're reacting all the time. And so business t- leaders talk about that, like everything's on fire, right? Right. Like, I'm overwhelmed. Like if you hear yourself saying those things, it's like you are misaligned. You are in a misaligned state, which means you have to proactively get into realignment phase so that you can be aligned as a business. And once you're aligned, things feel really great and they feel really good. And you'll probably go back into misalignment again because stuff happens. Yeah. So 
that call that call to awareness around man if we're experiencing some of these symptoms if we're seeing growth stagnation or we're experiencing that overwhelm or we just feel like we're not getting traction on you know our new sales process or whatever it is like that is a that is a symptom of misalignment and it means we need to proactively understand where we are and make changes and we need to be really focused on that not just react to the symptoms and look at it as an opportunity not a not a pain right Absolutely. yeah cuz it's yeah. an opportunity to improve yeah one of my favorite quotes is what's in the way is the way mm, i love that yeah like yeah. whatever whatever is causing you the pain is the pathway out yep you have to go to it. We use a phrase in our, one of our core values is learned or is, is uh, leverage tension. And what we mean by that is like running to trouble. Like we have to have the propensity to know and to be excited as, you know, people who work in our organization, like we want to go to the hard places. That's why we're employed. That's why we right. have, to, right. Cause we're yeah. willing, we're willing to go to the hard space because we know that's where the greatest movement or the greatest opportunity is. Yep. Right. Exactly. Gosh, I, I I just love this. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. And will you let the listeners know how they can find you? Absolutely. So the easiest way to find us is to go to theevolvedifference.com. Uh, we have, uh, we're, Diane will share with you a link directly for listeners okay. of this podcast that'll take them directly to a page. We have some special offers in there. A really great way to get engaged with us or to even just figure out where are we on the map is we have a free assessment. It's 26 questions, takes about five minutes but it looks at the five different facets of your business. It's free. There's nothing, there's no obligations. You can just take that and you'll get automatic results. And that'll just help you have a sense of where are we, where are we good? You know, where, where do we feel like we're doing really well? Where are some of those areas that we can focus on? All of that's available on the evolve difference.com. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I'll make sure all of that is, excuse me, in the show notes. So uh, Dave, again, thank you. Listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.